are listening to Rogue Table Talks. Here's Mike. All right, here we are back once again. Uh, this is, I believe, is Rogue Table Talks 125. Yes, sir. 125 buck and a quarter. Uh, we're inching up the the tallies of Rogue uh, Table Talks. How are you doing this fine fine morning? I'm doing good. I traveled back Thursday. I was pretty you know, wiped out from that. Just kind of rested yesterday. It was a colder, rainy day, which was nice. Just kind of hung around the house. It's a beautiful day for fall resting. Day today. Yeah. yeah, beautiful fall day today. Uh, I got to do a wedding. Whereas you got a wedding, yeah. So it's kind of crazy. Uh, me and Courtney went to eat lunch two Fridays ago at this place out in Defiance, Sunflower Hill Farm, and I have a connection with the owner. And just two years ago, I said, hey, you know, if you ever need an officiant, because some people get married there, you know, let us know, whatever. So that was Friday. Tuesday, she texted me and said, I have a wedding this Saturday. The couple lost their officiant. So I talked with them. Yeah, it was crazy. And they were, you know, obviously desperate, scared, scrambling, trying to figure out what Mm -hmm. we're going to happen. So lost their kind of crazy. They lost. Uh, well, story. he's in story the military. Yeah, he's uh, in the military and got uh, shipped mm. out. So that's his story. They lost anyway. Him. Where'd he go? Yeah, yeah I can't do yeah. it. Where'd he go? <clears throat> um, yeah. So okay. Well, so it's an outdoor. Is that a, a kind of outdoor yeah. one? That's yeah. Five awesome. o'clock should be should be nice. Well, Sixty degrees in the sun day. should feel good. Beautiful yep. day. Yes. All right. Um, okay. So we are uh, we're in Galatians three still, and there's some. Uh, Cool stuff to talk about in terms of the gospel, grace, faith, the promise, the law, this whole big story uh, that we're in. And uh, uh, we'll continue a bit, pick up a bit where we ended the last time with that, you know, that quote from C.S. Lewis, because um, it does fit in with this this passage uh, as well. Uh, and it's just a great, it just gives great perspective on who we really are and the story we're really in. Um, so let me start with kind of a, you know, with a passage where I want to look at where we're continuing. It's Galatians 3, starting in verse 17, where it's really just, it's a reminder of this big story that we're in. Uh, and Paul writes, what I mean is this, and he's really talking about our relationship to Abraham and the promise made to Abraham and Abraham's response in faith, he said, what I, what I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later, so after, 430 years after the promise given to Abraham, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. So let's uh, just kind of review what was that, what is the promise given to Abraham, uh, what his response was, and how that's the basis and the first sort of example uh, of how we are to respond. So give us a little, what do you, what do you, what do you got on that, that whole situation? Genesis 15, I think. Yeah. 12, 12 15, and 12. 15, 12 yeah. and 15. I, I, I love the Abrahamic promises. I think, the, those, if you're going to understand uh, gospel uh, and faith, 
and even how people in the Old Testament came to be justified by faith, then you have to go back to Abraham. And, you know, we took Abraham and said, I'll make of you a great nation. I promise to be your God. You'll be my people. I'll bless you. Uh, You will be a blessing to all families on the earth. And Abraham believed him and followed. And then in Genesis 15, he takes him out, you know, because the promise still hadn't come true. It was, oh, 80 years later, maybe. (laughs) And the promise involves a son. A son. You have to have an heir. And then it didn't have an heir to have to make generations to. uh, So then 15, he takes him out. Look at the stars. This will be as many as your descendants. And then it says Abraham believed the promise of God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And this is the template for saving faith, biblical faith. That's right. And so it's been the plan all along. Uh, It's and then the law came 430 years after that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's not like the law came first. And I think there's some. I don't know what people explicitly believe, but there's sort of this maybe passive inherited belief that well, we tried the law and we people couldn't do it, and so that failed, and then Jesus had to come. Well, I think uh, it's I think it's it is that another way to pronounce it is people in the Old Testament was that works works based right, right. grace based you know works based yeah, they had to faith earn faith. their civility right right. Right. And what Paul is saying is that was never true. That you always had to believe God's promise, promise that the sacrifices, uh, you know, I, the the Day of Atonement would actually be honored. Uh, you had to have, you had to believe God's provision for you was there, and it was the belief, the faith, in which you know, which is credited as righteousness as Abraham was, and that's been the plan all along. It's never really changed. And all of the sacrificial stuff was just, it was a, it, it, you know, it was pointed forward until it was all fulfilled in Christ. And so it wasn't like, we're going to try this. This is plan A. Well, that didn't work. Uh, now we got to go to plan B. It was, was faith, you know, God's grace gave it giving to Abraham through a promise that's how verse 18 ends but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise that's always been the plan it's always been the only way to be saved it's been the only way to be in a relationship with God well another um, yeah another point to make i think is the rescue of the israelites out of egypt is god upholding that promise i mean how can Mm -hmm. you be a great nation and be a blessing if you're under oppression Mm -hmm. you can't and so god is upholding his promise to rescue um to abraham by rescuing the israelites out and so the law isn't even at play yet the law's not even at play in both of those templates of redemption and Mm -hmm. then the law comes um uh, Luther and Calvin, well, Calvin has a threefold uh, use of the law, and it's a it's a restraint of sin. You know, it helps to restrain humanity's um, in, inclination to sin, and it's a, a map of how how do you live life in covenant faithfulness? You know, mm-hmm. it's marriage vows. How do you do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a guide. It's a tutor to show us our need for the greater redemption, to continue to remind us. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the law's not bad. 
uh, it it reflects God's character. It reflects God's morality uh, and and plan. It you know tells us what's right and what's wrong. Uh, you know, it's not like uh, yeah, it's not like it's a bad thing or a provision. You know, it's it's something that does reflect God's goodness and character and plan. It's just not something that in that sense can provide salvation. Um, and so it's a good thing. Uh, it does do those things. Uh, and in fact, that's what Paul says, starting in verse 21 of Galatians 3. He says, Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked every, up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. So there it is again. Uh, that the problem isn't the law, it's just that the law cannot impart life. And it was never the plan that the law imparts life. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ, and it's given to those who believe. Uh, and so I think that's, we're kind of back to this, um, he's not saying the law is bad or opposed to the promises of God. He's simply saying the goal of our lives is not just to be slightly more moral or better. Like, right. you know, there's a much bigger something at play here, right? Well, absolutely. And you and I both went to Covenant, so we have a certain... Uh, seminary, so we have a certain lens for how, how we read the Bible. I tend to think that the Bible is structured around a covenantal structure, and what is also happening is that the law was uh, involved in the Mosaic Covenant, and it served its purpose for that time and that place and those people. And then you have David still functioning with the law, and then you have Jesus in the New Covenant and now you have a new time period, a new relationship to the law. And it doesn't serve the same purpose for this time and this place and this people. In fact, that's why, you know, you look back at these Levitical laws and it, it just, it can't because we're not Israelites. We're Gentiles, um, you know, and we, obviously we still think the Ten Commandments are at play because those are based in creation and they precede uh, the law. But... Now we're in Christ. So it's mm -hmm. not that we do away with morality or away with, uh, you know, this idea of commandments. You see a lot of commandments in the New Testament. But the law, as we're describing it, served its purpose under the Mosaic Covenant. Now we have to figure out, well, what does that mean for us as Christ followers? And that's what Paul is saying to the Galatians. you got to figure this out. There's a new era now. Yeah, and that's, and that's, that's you know, that we're in this big story and, you know, the story goes all the way back and, you know, Paul starts talking about the story with Abraham, but this big story has a, you know, sort of continuous plot, an unfolding, a progression. It's not discontinuous, but it doesn't make sense for us now. It doesn't, didn't make sense. Paul, what is Paul saying? It doesn't make sense for these Galatians to act as if they're, 50 or 100 years prior in the story because things have changed. Mm -hmm. You know, all the law pointed to in Christ has come. And now 
we're in a different part of the story in which more of God's truth and grace have been explicitly revealed, and that which was pointing to it, we don't need it anymore because we have we have it, uh, and that that we're in that same situation as well. Um, and there's a you know I think there's a couple things I kind of want to say. I do think there's a sense in which you know you talked about the Exodus and people, you know, go on the Exodus and they get on the edge of the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming and they're like, can't we go back? You know, can't we go back to slavery? There's some sense right. of, uh, uh, you know, there's <laughs> that, you know, we hated it there. They were killing us. We were slaves. But this, at least we knew what was going on. At least we you know, this new thing is scary. Yeah. Um, so I think there's sort of that sort of thing. But then there's also that we don't grasp how big the story we're in. And, you know, I love in verse 21, for a, if a law had been given that could impart life then righteousness would have certainly come by the law. And so righteousness is this transformation, this imparting of this new life to us. And obviously keeping rules can't do that. That's part of what he's what he's saying. And that refers us back to, you know, we talked about C.S. Lewis's uh, essay, Man or Rabbit, and I put the last paragraph in the show notes. Uh, and I kind of want to talk about now the last two paragraphs uh, of that, if I... I'm going to, I'll read that. I'm just, because I do think C.S. Lewis is getting to this point in a, you know, through a different way. He's responding to the a question, can you live a good life and not be a Christian? Uh, and it's a, it's a brilliant essay, but, you know, this is how he ends it. He says, mere morality is not the end of life. You were made for something quite different from that. John Stuart Mill and Confucius he says Socrates was much near, near the, nearer the reality, simply didn't know what life is about. So he's talking about two great moral teachers, three, and they, it doesn't mean that they were bad people or what, they just didn't understand what life was about. The people who keep on asking if they can't lead a decent life without Christ don't know what life is about. If they did, they would know that a decent life is mere machinery compared with the thing we men are really made for. Morality is indispensable, but the divine life, which gives itself to us and which calls us to be gods, intends for us something in which morality will be swallowed up. We are to be remade. All the rabbit in us is to disappear, the worried, conscientious, ethical rabbit, as well as the cowardly and sensual rabbit. We shall bleed and squeal as the handfuls of fur come out, and then, surprisingly, we shall find underneath underneath it all a thing we have never yet imagined a real man or woman an ageless god a son of god strong radiant wise beautiful and drenched in joy when that which is perfect is come then that which is in part shall be done away quoting from the love chapter there the idea of reaching a good life without christ is based on a double error firstly we cannot do it and secondly in setting up a good life as our final goal we have missed the very point of our existence. Morality is a mountain which we cannot climb by our own efforts, and if we could, we should only perish in the ice and unbreathable air of the summit, lacking those wings with which the rest of the journey has to be accomplished. For it is from there that the real ascent begins. The ropes and axes are done away, and the rest is a matter of flying. He's pretty good. Yeah. Very. Professor Lewis, yeah. 
And so it means getting at this point of we do kind of think of we need to be good people and we need to live a good life. Of course, that's not bad. It's just a, it's such a smaller version of the life we're called to live in which he's pointing forward in, in the story to where when we are transformed, when we have our heavenly bodies, you know, if we could see those now, it would seem just incredible to us, probably strong, radiant, wise, beautiful, drenched in joy. And that's the, that's who we are made to be. And rule keeping, obviously, is powerless. You know, we are to be remade and we are to, you know, not try to climb the mountain of morality, but to be transformed so that we can fly. So I, you know, I love that. I love that essay and that picture and that understanding it gives us of if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law, but it can't. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I'm still trying to digest um, Lewis, Um, but I think something like this, um, if the idea is that we're, so when you see um, uh, the be transformed by the renewal of your mind in Romans 12, Mm -hmm. um, metamorphosis is the the Greek word, and... um, when we one picture in the world that we think of when we think of that is from a caterpillar to a butterfly right right and to use lewis's paradigm is saying the caterpillar just needs to be the perfect caterpillar just needs to keep working hard and be a nice caterpillar and be a faithful caterpillar and you know don't steal other caterpillars food and you know share your leave and all that stuff and that, you see, that, that, that works if the paradigm is, well, you're just supposed to live a good life. But if you're supposed to be something completely different than what you were, then it doesn't work. You're supposed to go in and die and be changed from the inside out. And being transformed from the inside out implies that we can't do anything from the outside in. It has to happen right. to us. Right. Right. And, you know, that's not to say sharing your leaf is a bad thing. Absolutely. Uh, well, that's what he says. Like, he says morality is indispensable. It's indispensable. You, right. you, that's what he says. Morality is like, of course, we're supposed to have a conversation of morals and live moral, upright lives. But when you're putting it in the context of, is that the point of my life, though? Absolutely not. The point of my life is to be transformed. Yeah. from that transformation right. pursue morality and if I understand the point of my life is to be transformed into something I can't even really imagine uh, yeah. you know then obviously that's not something I can do myself uh, you know that's that's something that has to be given to me it has to be given uh, and that's you know that how can this all just be by us believing God and by his grace? Because there's no other way that I can, that it can be done. If I really understand this big story, this big sweeping story that's been in, you know, in place for thousands and thousands of years, 
then I understand what my destiny is not something I can make happen. That I need divine transformation. And I need to participate in that. And my participation is important and all of that. But obviously I can't do it. Well, we and, have to choose. And you to go ca- into I can't this. expect you to do it either. Go ahead. No, right. well, well we, we, no, you're fine. We have to choose to go into the cocoon. Like God mm-hmm. won't make make us do that. And you know, when the when the caterpillar decides to go into the cocoon, they stop eating. They hang upside down and they spin the cocoon. They are going mm-hmm. in there to be transformed. So we can't make the transformation happen, but we can surrender or die to self or or you know sur- give our life over entrusting ourselves to the divine life and that's what i think salvation is it's not well it's not a just a mental ascent uh to these sets of truths it's it has that in it but it's a holistic entrusting of one's existential existence into someone else's hands into someone larger, mm. someone who who is in it's mm-hmm. it's you're placing the weight of your life and story, as we like to say, not in your own hands anymore. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Um, and yeah, so we have to trust. We have to trust God. We have to trust Christ. Enter into that cocoon, and we're not in control of the process of metamorphosis that he has to do that for. I mean, Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, you know, mm-hmm. it can't come to life. And I think we, we, we apply that to Jesus. Uh, and of course he's the first fruits, but he's saying, he's saying that to us about us as well. Like we, we have to die in order to be reborn and, uh, be, be transformed. Mm-hmm. Um, let me finish the, uh, the passage here. Um, in verse 23, it sort of reaffirms what we were just saying. Before the coming of this faith, he's sort of reviewing. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under under a guardian. He's, he's saying, we're just not in that part of the story anymore. The law had a purpose. It, yes. The law had something. It, it was needed for the part of that part of the story. It was part of the progressive revelation of who God is and His character and our dependence on Him. But now, the purpose of the law has been fulfilled in Christ, and we just don't need that anymore. It doesn't make sense at this part of the story. Uh, and then he finishes the the uh, by saying, "So in Christ Jesus." You are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is, nor there is, is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So there's a lot there in that. And I, and I kind of want to, I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, uh, I have in mind to say, and we probably don't have time all, for all of them, but one of them is just the collective nature of this transformation. It's not an individual process. And all of us who are the ones being transformed, one of the, one of the ways I think to say what Paul is saying is 
all of us who are participating and being transformed, that we are being transformed into these, these beings that Lewis described in his essay, is by far the most significant thing about who we are uh, and how we relate to other people. Like all the other distinctions are way less important than if we understand that there are those who are participating in transformation and those who not and who are not, those who have claimed the promise and those who haven't yet. And if we are in this transformative process, that binds us all together in a way that's far deeper and more profound than anything else might possibly bind us together. And that none of those other things, obviously, should split us apart because the thing we have in common dwarfs all of those things that might tear us apart. That's, I think, that's one of, that's my paraphrase of at least one of the meanings uh, Paul has there. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I, I don't have anything else to add to that. I, I, I just may say, like, because the law was ethnic, it was identity, and mm. it demarcated the Jews from the Gentiles. Mm. And so the reason that the gospel is, uh, the primary points of the gospel are unifying and the other things uh, are are less well we don't need to let them disunify us is because uh in christ there is no jew or greek so if uh, there is there is no slave or free so in christ all the law has been summed up so i think about the law centering around temple worship the law centering mm -hmm. around um the the cultic life of israel well the reason there's no temple the reason there's no law is because Christ is our temple. Christ is our law. Mm. Our purity is in him. Um, our faithfulness to, to the Father is found in him. He functions as the, mm -hmm. the priestly mediator. So there's no demarcation of Jew and Gentile now because we're all in Christ. Yes, I think that's, um, you know, it, it, in the earlier part of the story, God picked a particular people to reveal himself in a particular way. And that, you know, uh, believing God was open to other people, but they kind of had to become, you know, they kind of had to convert, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, the sacrifices were at the temple, and, you know, so it wasn't as though it wasn't open to Gentiles, but it wasn't open in the same way, and they kind of had to, you know, they kind of had to convert. You know, Christ comes, and all of that's exploded. You know, the temple curtain is torn into access is given you know to everyone uh and 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 all of that particular particularity has been fulfilled and replaced really with the only particularity that matters you either believe god with respect to your salvation and the promise in christ or you don't and you know if if you respond in faith god in god's grace then you become a, a child of god through faith all in the same family, all in this, we become the people of God. Uh, and, you know, another way of saying it is the thing to, you know, the people of God were represented by Israel at one part of the story, but that was pointing forward to when the people of God would be the people of faith open to everyone. 
and uh, and because of that, then all the you know differences of language and ethnicity. But if you look even in America or even in the evangelical church, differences of politics, differences of cultural uh, issues, differences of socioeconomic issues, they might be real and we might need to work on them and address them, but only in the context of this huge, bigger thing that unites us and dwarfs all of those forever that, you know, a million years from now, when we're not even calling them years, or I don't know what we'll call them, uh, you know, all of that will be forgotten uh, among, you know, all the things that divide us that seem so important now will be long forgotten. Uh, and, you know, we have to remember that we're in that big story. And to put all of those potentially divisive things in the proper perspective, uh, and that's, I think, one of the reasons unity is such a big deal. There's a lots of reasons, but one of them is it's a recognition of the story we're, we're really in and who we really are, and that we are a unity if we choose to see it. The reality is we are being unified because we're the transformed ones or the ones being transformed. And I just think we forget that. We shouldn't. <laughs> well, the other things make us feel more certain. They make us feel more right. Um, we're always tempted to get caught up in the battle with the quickest handles um, and the easiest weapons to use, but they're most likely the illusion. Yeah, and we live in a culture that's drenched in all of that, and unless we're actively seeking to counteract it, we then just get swept along and people on the other side of the political spectrum are the enemy or the people on the other side of the culture issue are the enemy um, and the fact is some of those people might be your brother and sister in Christ and all of and you know you are joined together in something far deeper and far more profound uh, and the participation in being used to draw people to this transformative story is what we're about and that purpose also unites us uh, and all that might divide us should pale in, in comparison. And I think, you know, the more we buy into all of that division, um, the more we are rendered less effective for the mission and a less representative, uh, you know, example of who we really are, who we really should be. Uh, and that's kind of what Paul is, is telling these Galatians is, because probably, I think, the Judaizers came and some were buying into it and some weren't. And there was disunity. Uh, there were a lot, you know, there were other pro problems as well. And, you know, there were cultural factors that divided people then just like they divide them now. People divide by money. People divide by ethnicity. People divide by belief and so on. I'm, I'm sure that was true uh, in Galatia. And he's saying, listen, all of that is dwarfed in comparison to what should be uniting you uh, if you just will remember it. Uh, and so that the gospel, one of the things about the gospel of grace, not the gospel of works, but it should unite us, right? We all are, we say the ground is level at the foot of the cross. This is what it's supposed to mean, that we're all the same with respect yeah. to that. Yeah. 
we're all the same with the respect to the most important thing. Um, so I don't know quite how to land this plane exactly, uh, other than to say, you know, remember who we are in God's big plan and who remember who we are meant to be strong, radiant, wise, beautiful, drenched in joy, uh, a heavenly creature, a transformed heavenly creature, uh, and that we are in this process of transformation by God's grace now, and that we are bound with the other transformed ones for his purposes and for his glory. And so maybe we'll just leave it there. Uh, Grace and peace, everyone. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks. Be sure you're subscribed to our podcast wherever you listen and on our YouTube channel. Just search Rogue Table Talks.